On Every Main Street is a weekly program that takes a deeper look into the greater Lehigh Valley small, medium, and large businesses that might be found on Every Main Street. Tonight, join me, Greg Caponia, as we invite WDIY listeners to learn more about the entrepreneurs with great ideas serving the communities in which we live. Good evening and welcome to On Every Main Street. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and this evening we have a show featuring two interesting local organizations. First, we will talk about the Emmaus Historical Society and then the Boys and Girls Club of Bethlehem. With that being said, I would like to welcome Terry Sorg McManaman. Terry is the Secretary of Emmaus Historical Society, and Terry also volunteers as a board member for several Emmaus and Lehigh Valley organizations. She's an elected official for the Borough of Emmaus. Terry has worked, lived, and volunteered in Emmaus for 30 years. Welcome, Terry. Thank you so much, Greg. It's great to be here and talking about one of the things I love so much, which is volunteering. Well, let's talk about it. Terry, in the 30 years you've been volunteering in the Emmaus area, just curious, what are some of the significant changes you've seen in this area? So besides towns having more of an identity and brand and working with each other and in collaboration, I've also seen um, in our area that so many more people are getting involved in events and organizations and causes which is so needed. It, it used to be that it was the same people working on, on projects, and, and they would get burnout, um, and not just in Emmaus. I saw this uh, happening across the Lehigh Valley, but now we're seeing more and more uh, people wanting to volunteer and getting involved, and that's, that's a big switch. Why do you think that is? I think that there's just a, a sense now that Everyone wants to have a cause and a mission and something that they champion. And I think that, um, you know, now with social media and, and the newspapers uh, reporting the way they do, I think people really do want to get more involved and help uh, raise money, you know, fulfill missions like we do at, at the Historical Society. And Emmaus is a different-looking town over the past 30 years, isn't it? It certainly, it certainly has changed an awful lot, and for the better. So how did the Emmaus Historical Society begin? So actually this year we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. In 1992, the mayor at the time and a councilwoman approached Borough Council because they believed there should be a historical society in town, so they got council to back it formally. The 16 people who showed up at that very first meeting to form the society are considered our founding members. Um, The society's office was located originally at Town Hall, and all the collections were stored at, at personal homes. And then Artie Rodale donated some money for rent, and so they moved out and on to Main Street. And then after fundraising, generous donations, and a, a Pennsylvania State grant, they were able to rent a space on Main Street. And now we've owned two buildings, including the one that we're in now at 218 Main Street. In reading the history, it's interesting that you had a great idea and. Under $5,000, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good example of how a good idea can grow into something that ultimately ends up owning a couple of buildings and, uh, you know, serves the community so well. Can you talk about that period of growth, how that how that occurred? So I think that um, because, because there were so many people that wanted that historic value, I mean, in Emmaus we have three historic sites. 
so um, as people were were talking about having a, a historic entity and that mothership of all of the history of Emmaus, you know, once once one person wanted to donate money, it became um, it became something very special. Uh, we owned a building on Chestnut Street. Uh, sold that one in order to to buy a, a larger building. And one of our board members, uh, Bill Bartow, um, at the time said, "Hey, there's a there's a beautiful house on Main Street with a lot of history to it. Why don't we? You know, I'll sell this to the Historical Society and let's let's move there." So I think, you know, just the idea of having a, a house and a, a place for all of these artifacts and the memorabilia, everybody can get on board with that. You know, Emmaus was was, uh, was started in 1759 and incorporated in 1859. So there's an awful lot of, of historic uh, value and, and memorabilia to be had and seen. So I, I think that people, you know, once they realize that, they, that there was going to be a historical society, uh, many people wanted to get on board from all, all different, different areas. Just to get a reference of where the buildings are, uh, when people think of Emmaus, if they're not from that area, they think of the Triangle. Where, where is your location? So as you're driving into Emmaus, you'll come into the gateway at the library um, at the end of town, and then uh, we're on. We're located at 218 Main Street. It's to the left of. Um, it's to the left, and I I don't know my directions there. It should be on the east side, I guess, of Main Street. What makes you, Emmaus so unique when you're talking about the history? So I get asked this a lot, and being on borough council as well as an active volunteer in town, I love answering the question. Um, Emmaus has a certain feel. It's got an aesthetic that has a home vibe. We're quaint, and we have plenty to offer with super popular events throughout the year. We have lots of green space with our fabulous park system. From the moment you enter at that gateway sign that I just mentioned at the corner of the the public library to the steeple of beautiful Moravian church. You get public art along the way. There is a special sense of community here, you know, of true roots and of, of great pride. So in Emmaus, I think you feel the charm. You feel the charm of past history and the historic value. And at the same time, there's a, a great freshness from today's cool shops and the pubs and distillery and, and ethnic restaurants. Yeah, it's a pretty cool place. It is wonderful. If I come to the museum, what would I be likely to see, and what could I learn? So the museum itself is two houses, one built in 1824 and the other in 1870, that were renovated in 1920 and turned into one building in the beautiful Greek Revival style. So when you look at the dwelling, it's not only striking itself, but then once you enter the museum, Visitors will see displays of everything from vintage toys, cookware, textiles, fashion adornments, to displays of Emmaus Banks, movie theater, schools. Uh, we had an Emmaus bottling work at one time where they were known for sodas and chocolate drinks. There's so much there to enjoy. So we're now renovating also the garage to be a satellite museum of the larger pieces that we can't house in, in the, the uh, main museum. How do you get the things that you display? We do reach out to the community. Um, we have an amazing uh, collections committee who is very, very active. So it is consistent with reaching out to, to families. 
many people who are, um, you know, with a family member passing away, they are going through attics and they're finding uh, photographs and or um, items from uh, parents that were veterans, uh, those kinds of things. And, and it is it has grown. Um, and we don't have everything out all the time. It is a revolving mm-hmm. and evolving display of um, different topics uh, in Emmaus' history. Is there a favorite item that people like to see? There are a couple of things. Emmaus had a Emmaus National Bank, and they actually were a, a federally sanctioned uh, they had federal status, so they printed their own money. And so people like coming in to see um, Emmaus National Bank money. Uh, the time capsule from the 1959 uh, celebration of Emmaus's founding, that is also very cool and very interesting. Um, there, there are just so many things. And, of course, all of us as docents that work on Saturdays, we all have our favorite, our favorite thing out in the, the garage and the satellite, which is under renovation now, so next year people will be able to see it. Again, is the cell door from Emmausboro Hall, which used to be um, the police station. So there are a lot of really fun things to see. Terry, how are you funded? Um, we Thankfully, um, we have a, a large membership base, and so through, fun, through dues, fundraisers, some grants and donations, that's what keeps us humming along um, during the year. And how many members do you have? I believe of a thousand members. Um, if not, there were we're always in that number. Um, we do have eleven board members and committees who work on events and programs and fundraising. And we are uh, entirely a volunteer organization. So, so these members um, are mean a great deal to us. For our listeners, how could a person become a member of the Historical Society in Emmaus? We have uh, membership opportunities on our website um, and then visit the, the 218 Main Street. We're open on Saturdays from 10 to 4. There's a membership form at the museum, and um, there are many different uh, levels of uh, membership from family, individual. Uh, we have corporate memberships uh, as well as civic organizations, and we also have lifetime memberships. It's very affordable. And you're fully open right now? Uh, yes, uh, we are open on Saturdays from uh, 10 to 4. The only thing we are not doing at this point yet is our monthly program. So we're hoping to get back into monthly programs in, in May. Can you tell me a little bit about what the monthly programs will entail? Yes, uh, well, and throughout the year, besides our monthly programs, which are um, we have speaker presentations on a variety of topics such as architecture, history of manufacturing, schools, uh, programs about the anniversary celebrations that I just mentioned. We also have bus trips throughout the year. We have one coming up in May. I left my dignity in my other purse. Um, and then one in August at Sight and Sound Theater in Lancaster um, titled David. Uh, we also have Dan Shant's monthly madness cards for $20. You receive a punch card. And each month you can go to Shant's to pick up a plant of flowers or whatever the monthly madness item is. We just had our annual bingo event, which was partnered with the Emmaus Main Street Partners, which is always great fun. Our annual yard sale will be June 4th. It's always the first Saturday after Memorial Day. And then in July, we're participating in the Lehigh Valley Passport to History Month, 
And also coming up is the Emmaus Heritage Festival on September 17th from 11 to 4. So that's a wonderful partnership with historic sites and other organizations in Emmaus. So there is a lot that goes on, you know, program-wise or event-wise with the Emmaus Historical Society all year. And you have a pretty cool theater there, too. Yes, <laughs> we like very the much theater. so. How can our listeners... Uh, Learn more about the Historical Society. What's your website? Yep, website is www.emmaushistoricalsociety.org. We're also on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page, and we are open, as I said, on, on Saturdays from 10 to 4. We have been speaking with Terry Sorg McManaman about the Emmaus Historical Society. I thank you, Terry, for being with us. Thank you so much, Greg, and all the listeners who support all of the nonprofits in the Lehigh Valley. We appreciate you very much. We will be back right after this message. Hi, this is Mary Louise Kelly from All Things Considered. Our friends at WDIY have told us many of you have been enjoying NPR's news, public affairs, and music on WDIY using the new WDIY app. Well, this is just one of the ways WDIY is putting membership donations to good use. When it comes to public radio, you can always count on NPR and WDIY to listen to you in order to serve you better. And you can be confident that your membership dollars are a wise investment. So help NPR and WDIY continue to build, innovate, and grow by making a gift now during WDIY's membership drive. You can give online at WDIY.org or you can call 610-758-8810. That's 610-758-8810. And thank you for your support. Welcome back to On Every Main Street. And welcome to our guest, Winston Alozi, the Chief Executive Officer of the Boys and Girls Club of Bethlehem. Welcome, Winston. Hey, thank you for having me. So glad to be on. You bet. You're a busy guy. Uh, you, you know, time gets away from me here and now, but I'm so glad to be on um, this uh, great station and this great program. I'm a big supporter of public radio and a firm believer in the good work that you all do. So I'm so glad to be on today to talk about the good work of a great place. Well, thanks. You have a degree in developmental psychology. You have been a teacher. You've received the Outstanding Community Service Award. You're a member of the NAACP, a minister of music at John AME Zion Church in Bethlehem. What else do you do, Winston? Let's talk about the Boys and Girls Club of Bethlehem. At what age can a boy or a girl become a member of the organization? Uh, Great question. So we... We accept youth, and a lot of times people think that it's just for the disadvantaged, the at-risk, the low-income. We accept all children and welcome all children. We do know that our programs do particularly support and benefit those who are in those at-risk communities, but we accept all children. And we take children as young as five years old, um, Mm -hmm. ages five through 18. If you are 19 and still enrolled in school, you can still be a member as well. How many people work at the Boys and Girls Club? It's typically free management and poor in programming. Mm-hmm. And do you use volunteers? Well, we certainly do. Certainly welcome it. We can't do the work that we do without the help of volunteers, people who are committed to seeing young people prosper, adults who, you know, are, of course can be around children, so you have to have your clearances in. We ask that people furnish thorough background checks through um, appropriate state agencies for those. Sure. 
understand, but it's but it's yeah. but this is a this is a good opportunity for somebody who wants to help uh, our youth in oh, this yeah. area to um, sign up and perhaps uh, go through the the background check and then uh, apply their yes. their abilities and to to what is needed. Exactly. One of the things that I like about our volunteer program is that it allows people to do things that maybe their professional life didn't warrant them to do. You know, we've had folks that, you know, for some reason or the other, weren't able to go to school to be an educator, but they can, you know, help with homework club at the Boys and Girls Club. Mm -hmm. Um, Folks who were athletes, you know, throughout high school and college or what have you, but you know, throwing the pigskin didn't pay the bills for them. Sure. But, you know, now they're able to do things with kids. So it allows for adults to really play on their strengths that they maybe not, they maybe don't get a chance to do um, in their personal lives that they get to do them uh, here at the Boys and Girls Club. From your vantage point, what do you see as the biggest need that the Boys and Girls Club helps to fill? That's a great question. We fill a critical need of support. We have so many young people who are growing up in homes that could just use a little bit of extra support, whether it's a little bit of extra love, a little bit of extra patience, a little bit of extra, I'm here for you. You know, a lot of times, you know, I mentioned earlier, people have a certain view or certain thought of a Boys and Girls Club. And with the um, youth that we serve, the preponderance of youth that we serve, um, they are typically low-income, diverse backgrounds that typically come with um, disadvantaged but people often think, you know, oh, single parent, you know, single mom raising these kids, you know, or welfare queen. These kids are just out here no good. No, we have parents who are working two or three jobs just to make ends meet. Right. And so they don't get to see their kids. They're not able to check their homework. You know, I have four children of my own, and it's difficult for my wife and I to check their homework and to, you know, make sure that, you know, they, they've got their bath together and, you know, they, they have proper dinner so we try to make sure that we help fill those needs of support for the families, the children that we have, because we believe that if our children are in a supported community and a supported ecosystem that includes their families, so we're an extension of their families, we build stronger communities here in Bethlehem and nationally. And stronger communities just means a stronger America. And a lot of times this really becomes, and we talk about this a lot on our station, a social determinant of health. People who who know that somebody cares about them, uh, not that their parents don't, but when there's a little bit more of a support system, they're likely to be a little healthier, aren't they? I mean, take care of themselves? Oh, that's so true. I mean, the work that has been going on recently, you know, I'm so proud of our district here in Bethlehem that has really, you know, got into the trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive work that's going on throughout the United States. But just talking about the effects that adverse childhood experiences have on children, when we understand what those adverse childhood experiences are and the detriments that they have, the long-term detriments they have, and how, how that ends up promoting chronic illness, you have kids that end up becoming adults with hypertension and diabetes. Ways that we can combat that now is helping them have the support that they need now, helping you know deal with some of those, those things that come with being in a um, high-risk high community, being at risk, or I like the new phrase that I heard, at promise. You know, in those there situations and helping that, you know, because it, 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 is a, it is very much a marker of social health. You know, we do have a lot of kids that are asthmatic and have a lot of things, childhood diseases and afflictions that come from being in poverty and densely um, populated areas. 
So to be able to provide an avenue for them to be safe and to get, you know, exercise, I'm so proud that we offer a place where kids can run around and just be kids. Yes, we do the homework. Yes, we do the mentoring. But we're also just a place where Bobby and Johnny and Manny and Daquan and Sheila and Betty Sue can just run around and play tag or color and draw or talk with their friends. We do that, and there's nothing healthier than just social interaction. Can you give us an example of some young people who have emerged uh, with some leadership qualities and that you've worked with, people you're proud of? There are, there are so many, so many that I can name and mention. I think of Ashanti Littlejohn, who is a physician at St. Luke's, who was a student at the Boys and Girls Club when I was at the Southside Club um, 10 years ago. And I can think of Chelsea and um, Joelle Cologne, who are parents of four children and how they're beautifully raising their kids and they grew up in the club. Um, I can think of so many folks. I'll give you one particular student. Mm-hmm. Um, one particular student, his name is Antonio Montgomery. And Antonio um, was our Youth of the Year last year. Every year we have um, something called the Youth of the Year. Back in the olden days, it was boys, Boy of the Year, but um, Youth of the Year for the past maybe 40 years. I was actually, I'm very proud to say Youth of the Year 2005. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good. But Antonio was Youth of the Year um, last year, and Antonio grew up in the club. He um, had been a member since he was in kindergarten. Um, he was a member at our Southside Club um, about five years ago maybe six years now, we lost our Southside Club due to um, budget cuts and, and lack of support and also just changing demographics in the neighborhood. Kids didn't live near the club anymore, so they weren't coming down. Mm-hmm. But so in losing that building, we had some of our kids that were walking up to, or walking up, biking up, or getting rides from their parents to the Marvine Pembroke Club. And so Antonio was one of those kids. So he would go from Taylor Street in South Bethlehem, so right behind Holy Infancy Church, and bike or walk all the way over to the Boys and Girls Club to be with us and do programming. And he is now an accounting major at um, Moravian University on their basketball team. And, you know, he is the product of a strong mother, Miss Elka, and I'm so glad that she allowed her son to come to the Boys and Girls Club and, you know, was able, you know, when he was in middle school and being a knucklehead, she said, look at here, I'm not having that. (laughs) And she said, hey, you make sure that he knows I'm not having that. And so... You know, it was to the point where I would go through his book bag and we would make sure that he did his homework and that he filled out his planner. And so seeing a young man go from, you know, being a kindergartner to being, well, not wayward, but to be a goofy teenager, to come off and be a college student that is excelling so well, that's just a testament and really just one and the drop of the bu- one drop in the bucket of many of the success stories we have at the Boys and Girls Club. Well, congratulations to your organization for doing this type of work. Now, you have, you, you've got a couple of events coming up, don't you? Yes, yes, we do. We are so excited. Our annual, this is now our 43rd annual golf tournament is this June, Monday, June 13th. So if there are any of you all who like hitting the green, or even if you don't like to golf, you just like to be outside and fool around with your friends, you should definitely support this event. You can visit our website, www.bgcob.org to find out more information. We'd love to have you, your friend, your business support this event. 
And this is a way for funding yes. for programs that are important that to your correct. organization. Are there any that other events uh, later on in the year that are going on? So we have that. We have our annual steak and burger dinner, which is our our seminal event of the year that's a big fundraiser for the club. Um, more information will be coming out for that probably by the end of May, so keeping air out for that. And then just things for the kids. We have our annual summer program that comes up. So that's our summer day camp from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. That program is specifically designed for working parents to have child care for their kids, but child care that allows kids to interact and play and grow. So you can visit our website um, to find information on that. Um, and we have an Easter egg hunt on April 2nd for kids in the community, so folks are welcome to bring their children to the club at 1430 Fritz Drive for that. Winston, we just have about a minute left. What are you most proud of at the Boys and Girls Club? I'm most proud that we are still here. After 90 years, we are still here, and just like we serve the the flocks of immigrant children coming to Bethlehem in 1930, we continue to serve families that are moving to the valley and making Bethlehem their home and making young people just start off in beautiful, harmonious spaces so that they can grow up and have great futures. Yeah. That makes me so happy. Your website again, please? www.bgcob.org. Thank you once again, Winston Elozzi, the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club, for being on every Main Street. Thank you, Greg. You're the man. This was fun. Thank you guys so much. You're doing great work. You're listening to WDIY 88.1 FM. Have a great evening. Up next on WDIY 88.1 FM, news headlines from NPR, followed by our Monday night folk program, Folk Classics.